0: Gear up as Cash Miller and a team of accomplished guests steer you on an enlightening voyage filled with valuable tips, fresh insights, and effective strategies. Welcome to Marketing Masters, the agency power show.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Cash Miller, host of Marketing Masters and the CEO of Titan Digital. Today I am here with Chandler Kellogg of Hot Button. We're gonna be talking sales enablement because I say, as marketers, we can drive a lot of business to you, but if you don't know how to handle it on the other end, because you're not prepared for the influx, that can cause problems and you lose out on opportunities. Chandler, it's great to have you. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure, yeah, my name is Chandler Kellogg. My operating title that I use is Director of Growth Marketing at Hot Button, although I do own the agency. Um, and kind of what we work on is growth, marketing, and sales enablement, and kind of the the mesh between those two. And the reason why I focused on that and started this agency is I've worked in a lot of other verticals that are more focused on you know brand awareness and not necessarily driving through the funnel and not having insight all the way into the funnel. So it's really two parts: is one, you know, having really performance focused, growth focused marketing tactics, but oftentimes fixing the sales pipeline and motion first. A lot of times what I say is people reach out to a marketing agency when they really need sales help. And a lot of marketing agencies aren't able to diagnose that because they do one specific thing. So if they just do SEO, they'll be like SEO will solve all your problems without, you know, diagnosing that it takes your sales team two weeks to follow up because they don't update the CRMs and things like that. So it's really the, the mesh between sales and marketing, and that's becoming more popular, especially to have kind of a revenue operation structure. So it's very, very performance focused in both sales and marketing categories. So let's,
1: since we're going to be talking about sales enablement, I want to make sure the audience is like on the same page with us, like you know, right out the gate. So how would you define sales enablement and, and how do you see it functioning within an organization?
0: Yeah. So, sales enablement and there's a lot of different definitions floating around, but the one that I typically use is really any tools that make your sales teams more effective, um, and especially working with teams that might have sales professionals that have been in the industry for a long time. So, where you know, dials, you know, just increasing volume used to work, um, emails increasing volume used to work, and a lot of them are door to door sales things like that. Now there is not only a lot more tech that helps with the enablement on that side, you know, there's CRM solutions and there's things that can automate or semi automate that and help you classify that. Um, but a lot of those just increase in volume tactics have stopped working. There's can spam laws. You can't necessarily text. You can't do dials. A lot of those emails aren't hitting the inbox with deliverability anymore. Um, and a lot of these older sales professionals or people who are starting out don't necessarily know that. And so it's really all the tools that help with targeting, with deliverability, and then also tracking and following up with leads. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. You mentioned,
1: you know, older uh, sales reps and stuff not realizing something like, I know, it's some people get stuck in their ways. I have a friend of mine, he's a really good friend, but um, he's a little bit older than I am. And no matter what, he's like, you know insists on dial, heat dialing, you know, it's like, he doesn't want to do it. Now he wants somebody to do it for him for something, for a venture he's involved in. It. And I'm like, dude, there are, it's like such a waste of time now. You know, there are certain things and you've got to measure, you know, we have to use different channels, but then once we're getting, you know, into the sales pipeline, we've got to be able to measure which ones are the most effective. It's not just a matter of quantity. Okay. But also the quality of what's coming through
0: and that can vary per channel, right? Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, part of the enablement too. sometimes um, for some people who just aren't willing to are willing or are, are unable to learn these kind of more technical systems, sometimes it's assigning, uh, you know, virtual assistants or even local assistants and training people who are willing to do it. Because I've worked with a lot of other businesses, especially ones you know, like HVAC plumbing, um, even other, you know, kind of like electronics technicians. Uh, it just doesn't make sense for them to learn this whole new system where they're never going to be logging things properly. So sometimes that is just training teams or assistants mm-hmm. to help them do that. Or, you know, in some cases, a lot of times it's it's mostly like call recording and things like that and having that automatically log because the, the number one thing that I hear a lot of times for the CRM is like we can't trust the data because no one updates it or doesn't update it consistently. Yep. And so a lot of that enablement, part of that is rather than just hammering your reps and saying, update the data, update the data is like, you know, find ways to automate and record that or have an assistant, you know, check through it weekly, monthly, quarterly to make sure that that is all accurate. Um, because if that's consistently a problem, that's something, especially if it's the same type of data, there's so many tools out there that can give you transcription and, and record meetings. There's not really an excuse to have bad data at this point. Yeah, it's,
1: you know, data is an interesting thing too, because some of it, you know, of course we can, you know, develop automations and stuff, everything is updated with no problem. But some of it you have to do manually, no matter how much you might not want to. You know, a lot of it can be automated, but not necessarily everything. It really depends on the system too that you're using for your CRM or whatnot. And so that can be, you know, a bit of a challenge. And even the, you know, no matter how good your CRM though is, if you don't have the correct data in that system It's not telling you the true picture. And in fact, it can throw you off because, you know, depending on how far off the data is, you may think you're doing better than you really are, or you could think you're doing worse than you actually are. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that go into it. You know, when we're looking at marketing and sales enablement, you know, as a combined entity, you know, the two sides working together in a perfect world, what should that look like?
0: I think um, a lot of the industry too, as well, on the marketing side, everyone's fighting over attribution. And that's you know a huge thing that you could get into. But basically, the long and short of it, at least in my opinion, is a lot of the tools that really give you kind of end-to-end multi-touch attribution. Um, They're super expensive relative to your spend. So I mean, you need to be spending really kind of like half a million or more to get like really, really good full funnel multi-touch. With then basically identifying the contact once they either convert in the case of you know e-commerce making a purchase with their data on there or or a form fill, and you kind of get that full attribution. But a lot of other you know smaller attribution models and, and smaller businesses, you're dealing with incomplete attribution. So then you're optimizing to last click. And you get more things. Basically, marketers are just only investing in channels that they can provide attribution for, but might not be highest impact. And I think that um, is really the area that I focus on. Like Sales is almost a lot of times what I start with. A, because I think a lot of businesses need to fix their sales processes. But it's also really, really easy to show attribution from sales. It's like I did the first touch, whether that's phone, email, or LinkedIn. I manage that conversation, book the lead for you. If that closed, we just attribute that to me. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, you know, marketing journeys can be, you know, especially B2B. It could be 30, it could be 50, it could be 60 touches, it could be across, you know, a lot of different time periods. And really what's effective for a lot of marketing is exactly what we're doing right now. It's thought leadership content. Um, it's things that are pushing people through the buying phase um, when they're in the research phase or looking to be educated on the category. And so I think the the big problem is that you know there there isn't enough collaboration between those teams, especially in, in larger organizations, to where they can do some kind of unified outbound. Like basically, in my opinion, sales is kind of getting that pulse on the market. It's it's what's really attributable, and especially if you're going after larger deals, um, but they are getting the insights, speaking to people on a day to day basis that you aren't getting in the marketing. So it's like if we need. Uh, more information about something that you're hearing on sales calls, you know, objection handling, that should work its way into the marketing materials. And when you have those siloed, mm-hmm. uh, marketing just makes whatever they want to make and then uh, doesn't really have impact. And I've seen this. And then the sales team will then make some terrible uh, PowerPoint that they make themselves uh, that looks super mm-hmm. ugly and doesn't match the brand yeah. guidelines because they know it's working. And so there needs to be collaboration, but really, um, Marketing needs to be focused on kind of a lot of that demand generation if you have the capability for it. I mean, smaller businesses, you might be focused on demand capture, but the big issue is that there is not that collaboration between the two a lot of times to have what is now considered, especially in software as a service companies, like a forward revenue or growth motion team that has that tight collaboration.
1: Yeah, no, I see, you know, because... The two, if the two sides are talking, there's going to be so many things you can learn. You, you mentioned a couple of them you know already because also you know for example, if sales is talking to the marketing team, you know the opportunity, sales has to handle whatever opportunities come because of the marketing but those opportunities might not be the right ones. You know, they it could be that they don't they're not worth enough money because of who's being targeted. That could go back to, you know, what industries the marketing team is actually targeting to generate those opportunities. But if there's no money, and they're not going to know it necessarily. They're not selling it, so they're not seeing the deal value, you know, that that is provided, you know, when something closes and such. So, you know, sales has the ability to help steer marketing's path a little bit. It's not how we market to them. It's who we market to. Uh, And that can be like really important, you know, obviously to any kind of sales growth that you're going to have. And so it's things like that, you know, and also how do we speak to them? I like your thing about, you know, objections. Uh, If people are objecting to it, like the stuff that the sales force has to overcome. Some of that could be alleviated on the front end. Some of that could be taken advantage of because, you know, when someone's sitting down and talking with a prospective client, customer, whatnot, and they've ever had you know dealt with a similar type company, you know, you're going to see what their um, pain points were in doing it, and that could be something that can be included in the marketing. Have you dealt with this? Yeah, you know, we have a solution. You know, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and and you can usually typically see that, especially if teams have built out their SEO as well, like if you see a website that doesn't have a lot of, especially if they're like a software, uh, like a CRM, and they don't have, you know, comparison shopping pages, like why are we better than X other CRM? And then also what is the use case? Um, like two examples would be like, like Jobber versus Service Titan, for example. Like a lot of those companies, like they're, they're kind of more service focused CRMs, right. um, but they have like, here, here it is for landscapers, here it is for HVAC companies here's how we compare in our feature set and pricing. Like they have clearly talked with a lot of people on the sales side and then integrated it into their website, you know, their SEO optimization and all of their sales and marketing collateral. Um, And a lot of times you can see when that isn't happening, even on the consumer side is, is that they'll have, you know, either the sales rep or the marketing team, you're like, I couldn't find anything on your website that speaks to pretty common objections, you know? So, I mean, that, that, Can be, you know, basically any of the sales insights can either be turned into sales collateral, collateral, it can be turned into marketing materials that they distribute and, you know, any kind of SEO optimized articles or, or comparison sheets that they're writing on their website. So, I mean, it's usually pretty obvious if those are too siloed. And then the reason that they fight a lot of times is that they're usually competing for the same, you know, budget it's, mm. and then depending on who is, you know, the head honcho, if they're kind of more of a sales background person, they're going to lean towards sales and they're scrutinizing everything under marketing. Yeah. And then if it's more led by a CMO, they're like, let's just do a ton more of brand awareness stuff and not worry so much about the sales. So it, to some extent it, it really depends on who's in charge of those departments. If they both report up to one person and then what their you know yeah. background is, marketing or sales. Yeah, sure. They
1: could lean, you know, there's a bias that would naturally be, you know, depending on the background of that person, they, if they lean sales, I would, for me, I don't know I would want somebody probably lean sales because they have the understanding of, you know, when things are closing, but they, you know, you don't want such a bias that you're, kind of disrespecting the marketing side, because I say, you have to understand that two are going to work together. And what you mentioned about collateral and stuff too, because you can have this front end message, you know, that marketing is putting out. But if sales is unaware, you know, the simplest thing being like a discount or something, but sales isn't aware that these things are truly going on or how long they last or anything, because it could be marketing ran this for 30 days, and then it ended and nobody told sales. You know, and so they're thinking that they can still use it when they shouldn't have, or vice versa. You know, something was ended and marketing is still running it. And then you have to honor it as a company because you put it out there. You know, so there's like numerous ways they need to communicate.
0: Yeah. And that also touches on kind of, you know, not to get too much into the marketing side, but I mean, that's a lot of businesses do things poorly. Like, I always advocate for having evergreen campaigns that aren't necessarily time based, seasonal, discount based. Because that gets lost in the mix a lot of times. And a lot of, especially sports, um, like baseball teams and things like that, they'll try to start and stop, start and stop, and it never gets out of the learning phase. Um, So a lot of that is getting, you know, some of the baseline evergreen stuff that is always on. And then, you know, once you have that dialed in, turning some of the discounts, the seasonality, you know, all those smaller campaigns. But, But yeah, I mean, the lack of communication definitely makes those problems worse.
1: Yeah. Similar to sports would be politics. You yeah, know, they turn it on during campaign season and then it's all turned off. And, you know, even if somebody was elected or whatever. Yeah. So you see, you know, I say things, you know, as it changes, there has to be communication. Yeah. And you have to I say, like you said, evergreen so that it's got longevity to it Yeah, versus, you yeah, know, Fall season, and you're running this special, and then it's gone, and then, you know, and maybe it was successful, maybe you pull it out again next year, you know. Mm-hmm. But did you take the time between the two, you know, parts to learn what went right and what went wrong as well? That's again another communication thing that goes really for any campaign, too, you know, especially if you, you know, because large companies are going to have multiple campaigns that are run over the course of a year with different intents behind them and such, but how successful they truly are. Yeah. Say if the sides aren't talking, that's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah. And and I would say too, I mean, politics actually to some extent is a really great example of the power of evergreen because, you know, I think what's a lot of, you know, candidates that are becoming less successful now are the ones that don't have the always on. Like a lot of candidates that have on both sides of the coin, they have their own podcast. They have their own, it's usually more organic, but they're, they're always putting content out. And then when it comes to, you know, this, election campaign, you you know a lot more about one candidate that's been doing stuff all year and then juices it with paid spend versus the guy who you've never heard of until campaign season and they get absolutely you know, destroyed in a debate and then they also don't own an audience to correct a timeline when there's you know personal attacks and things like that so that's that's another good component too for like more on the organic social side but like you you know brands need to start to build their own audience and conversation because if they don't have the ability to kind of correct a narrative that's floating around and they don't have a voice you're subject to the whims of whoever's the influencer in that category
1: yeah no that's exactly it yeah politicians and brands are very similar in stuff that you have you know, smaller ones that you barely ever heard from. And then you have others that dominate, you know, the the field. And so that makes it, you know, uh, really hard when you're that small one, you know, and it's about keeping the conversation going, you know, as part of it, you know, and so you're not just shutting it off from when, you know, I run my campaign, then I'm gone for a while, then I run my next campaign and such. And of course, from a sales side that, you know, creates this like really bad, you know, up and down trend of, you know, hey, we have this, you know, we're doing really good. And then suddenly everything falls off and and whatnot. So and sales, often is not prepared, you know, from that, from that standpoint, because things get shut off on them. They're not totally aware of what's changing or when the next thing's coming out. Yeah. So, you know, communication is key. Um, When we're talking about like putting together such a program for sales staff, where do you start? you know, constructing a sales enablement program and then being able to get it to communicate with the marketing side.
0: Yeah, I would say it really depends on if you're kind of doing account-based marketing versus just kind of like um, target-based outreach, you know, to like general titles or or industries. So so that's kind of the one consideration is do you have, you know, an account-based marketing focus or are you just going after, you know, companies who are 5 million plus, you know, 50 plus employees, something like that, where it's a little bit, um, I guess, of a, a wider range. Mm-hmm. And then um, a lot of that is, I think the, the biggest thing is, is the data enrichment side. Like in the past, you used to basically only have access to the data that people would give you. And you'd have these huge multi-step forms that a lot of people would, you know, abandon halfway through the form. And then you never have that data. I mean, now there are forms and I would say these, these are some of the things that you want to have on the sales enablement side. A big component of that is data enrichment that you don't actually have to collect the data every time to be able to use it firmographically. So, I mean, you can do stuff like, you know, if you have forms, more complex forms, you can see if people are abandoning at certain points and what they filled. So partial form fills, still getting data on that. Um, Clearbit and Leadfeeder are good ones too, as well. So if you're doing especially account-based marketing and you can see, hey, we're trying to market to, say, Bank of America, and we've had 10 people from Bank of America hit our pricing page maybe we should be reaching out to the context within that account-based thing you know, and scoring it appropriately that way. And then even when people submit forms, you know, a lot of times you can get basically first name, last name, job title, maybe the company that they work at, and you can get all the information through any kind of enrichment platform. There's mm-hmm. Seamless AI, there's Zoom Info. And then if you have ones that are tied in with the engagement, you, know, you have Apollo, you have Ample Market, you have Outreach Outreach.io. A lot of these tools do very similar things. And, and really what the uh, distinction is between them is some of them have better data depending on the category that you're going into versus others. Right. So some might not have good coverage in, you know, food and bev and restaurant, but better coverage in medical. And then so sometimes you have to, you know, trial a couple of these before you find the, the data that you're looking for, for who you're trying to go after. Um, and then how that, you know, basically ties in with marketing, especially if you're doing Really like account-based marketing, I would say the objective is to not necessarily be doing cold outreach, but what I would call you know, lukewarm outreach, where by the time you're sending an email or a DM or making a call, they've been like, yeah, I've seen some of your pod, you know, podcast snippets. I've seen a couple of your, your carousel posts. And, and a big thing too now that I think is the difference, the way that they used to capture a lot of the, that contact data is that you'd, you would know, fill out a form for an ebook download or some kind of informational download where they make you fill in all this information and then the salespeople call you immediately after. Now you can get data and and I would recommend ungating content. So like, you know, when you're posting on a platform, LinkedIn or whatever, post the whole ebook, post it as a carousel. And then you can see who liked it, who engaged with it. You can engage with people on those posts. And then with tools like, like Ample Market, for example, is one that I can use is you can scrape not only your own posts, you can scrape competitors' posts, you can scrape events and then create a sequence based on like, hey, I saw that you liked, interacted, commented on this. And then it's yeah. basically, it's almost warm outreach because you've kind of already had a conversation. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, especially like account-based marketing, that's how kind of sales and marketing overlap is sales is based, or marketing is kind of turning that into a warm conversation where they've already interacted with you a couple of times, whoever's yeah. in your ICP. And then by the time you reach out in sales, email, DM, phone, they're probably not just going to tell you to, you know, get lost. They're like, Oh yeah, I've seen some of your stuff. Let's, you know, I have 15 minutes, let me hear it, you know, or let's book yeah. some time. Yeah.
1: That's, um, you know, a lot of people like giving away more information and such, you know, like you're mentioning it's a lot of times that can help, you know, really warm it up, but the marketing side needs to know to do it. And then it's making, it's building up a brand awareness for the sales so that when they do a, a direct outreach, so, you know, time that, you know, Getting the two to work together like that, you know, certain things marketing can do because not all marketing, what they're putting together, especially material wise and stuff is it's not all going to be, you know, visual ads and things or, you know, video or something like that where it's, you know, seen on Hulu or something. You know, it's not all you know related to that. It can be something more direct. You know, they're doing it in social and they're giving away this piece and stuff. And then these other people, they start doing direct messages to them. Yeah, it gives them, uh, you know, more of that warm opening than if it was just straight, you know, a cold email or something.
0: Yeah. And and when I'm talking kind of like about hit rates, too, I mean, if you're evaluating marketing and sales, I mean, you're looking at, you know, open rates, response rates, things like that, like pure cold where they've never heard of you, never interacted with you and say you don't have a very good um, Internet presence it's going to be pretty low, but I would say like the, the hit rate on something where it's like, you've posted it on LinkedIn. Uh, they either just liked it or commented on it. And then I, you know, directly either DM or, you know, through an automated campaign, reach out to that person. That hit rate can be like 50 or a hundred percent because it's like, if you do it fast enough, they've been like, yeah, I remember that post that was super interesting. Would love to chat more. Like when I've done those types of outreach, it's like, it's literally almost a hundred percent hit rate. So yeah. that is kind of, Really, in my mind, the, objection, the objective of working between sales and marketing is that sales are slowly turning those from not being an ice cold conversation to a lukewarm or warm conversation, basically.
1: So, okay. So if you're trying to turn these you know,
0: conversations
1: and just overall, you know, we're talking about two separate areas of a business when you, know, you get your marketing and you've got your sales. So how do you go about setting goals where, you know, you can combine the two? You know, if you're talking about working them together, because otherwise your goal setting is... Marketers say, I want to get this many impressions on my stuff and this many clicks on my stuff and this many submissions and whatnot, conversions, you know, but so how do you get the two to actually be on the same page with the goals? Because when we start, you know, talk right at the beginning, yeah, it's like, hey, I can have the conversions, but then sales can't close them, Mm Yeah, or something like that. So, you know, we need the two working together. How does the goal setting part work?
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the the real goal for any business is, you know, close one deals and, and size of those deals. And then also, what I, honestly, a lot of sales teams forget about is then the churn rate afterwards. Like if you over promised and under delivering those a monster, point. monster deal, and they churn. Yeah. Um, a lot of people forget about the loyalty and advocacy part of the funnel. It's not just up yeah. to the conversion. So that's one aspect is, is not only... Optimizing to whatever your you know closed one revenue target is your your deal target, but also like are those people continuing to be satisfied or are our CS teams saying hey you overpromised a bunch of stuff and they're going to turn out at the end of one year it wasn't a good fit or they canceled you know if it's yeah. something that they're able to cancel so um, in terms of KPI setting I mean I think you have leading indicators on the marketing side so. I mean, to some extent, you're, you're optimizing for, you know, deliverability for open rates um, or for click-through rates, engagement rates, watch time, things like that, some leading indicators. Um, but a lot of what it is, is making sure that you have high levels of engagement with the people that you're specifically targeting. And that goes back to kind of the difference between organic and, and paid. I think paid yeah. is what, where you can really dial in on, on geos, on titles, and make sure that your message is hitting the right person. And being consumed, you know, to fifty percent or fully by the right people. Um, so those are kind of the basically the leading in- indicators on the marketing side. And then you know you want to be comparing those um, through the full funnel, and then even probably like a year post close is like, are they still happy with us? Have we expanded this account? Have they churned? Are they unhappy? Um, and then on the sales side is like, yeah, what is, what is the messaging that moves people through the funnel? Um, you know, how many of these calls do we need to have? I, I think the biggest thing that a lot of sales teams mess up is that they don't really have um, a stage kind of expediting phase, like where they get these kind of monster deals or or high, you know, CEO or you know VP plus titles and they force them to talk to a VDR and go through this whole qualification phase. Like I've seen a lot of companies mess that up to where they don't really have a fast track option, especially for people who are like, I'm ready to buy like I have my credit card out. I want to buy it today or in a week. And if you take a while to any and you put them through this whole sales process, and I've done this myself as a business where it's like, I'm like, Hey, I need, I need this right now. And I know what I need. Uh, Let me talk about what I need on the sales call. Don't make me talk about every single feature. Like we'll get there, but here's my very, very specific need. Can you do this? How fast can you do this? Those people should get expedited every time, especially if they are bigger deals. Um, And then beyond that, you know, it's, I think on the sales side and really on the marketing side too, I think there's, there's a lot of ways that you can pre-qualify people just in the intake form. Like something that I think, especially if you're doing lead gen on the, and this would fall really under marketing is you can do, you know, multi-step contact forms. And I think something you don't need to make them super, super complex, but I've I've seen that like a lot of uh, companies are like, Oh, well our MQLs suck. And I'm like, and, and they're like, we have to get our sales team on the call and do this qualification. I'm like, okay, well, if, if it's based on, say, your, your credit score, your deal size, um, you, know, you have a couple, like four or five criteria that are disqualifying criteria, that should be in the form. Those people shouldn't even yeah. make it to your sales team. Um, so some of that is on the marketing side is like, how many people are you filtering out to where you could just disqualify them at the contact form? Sales doesn't even need to take that call. That's one yeah. component. And then sales, you know, then it's moving people through the line, either getting them more information, educating them on the category, or if they're like, buy right now, let them buy right now, you know?
1: Yeah, I think um, you make a good point about things that disqualify people, you know, because otherwise on the marketing side, you end up showing more opportunities than than are legitimate, you know? So if you have more disqualifiers, whether marketing likes it or not, you want to do things that will actually eliminate people you know with the idea that the sales time is going to be better spent you know because uh, while it's a lower number they're going to have a higher chance of doing something and and they're not wasting their time on you know opportunities that are just not any good um, i also would add in like the you know tracking like acquisition costs too because you know marketing campaigns have budgets and if you're going to use different channels and such you know seeing which channel is going to work and you're going to follow it through what's our budget, what's our actual per like lead acquisition cost. You know, so it, you know, it's hundred dollars, $200 could be a thousand dollars, you know, but then you go and you take it to the sales side and then you're able to see within, especially if you have a good CRM, which um, opportunities actually closed, you know, which fell off. So you, you can start to learn what industries, you know, because you can see the, uh, the opportunities that closed, but then you can see the value of them. And then you can start saying well i invested a, you know each one we close is a hundred dollars or something you know that we invested in that particular channel but it was worth x amount of dollars and then you can see you know which ones are going to be better um, to go after you know because you're honing it in but you I say that's why you got to see the other side of it you could say hey we've got our acquisition cost down to 30 bucks great but nothing closes so it doesn't really matter and the marketer can end up doubling down because you know, you've know, you got one area that it's a $100 acquisition, you've got another that's $30, but it's actually the $100 one that's closing, and it's got enough of a, a profit margin in there that every time it closes, it's a really good opportunity, but the marketer is thinking that it's the $30 one because it's lower, and that's
0: what they should be going after. Right, and that's, that's the biggest problem that I see a lot is when there isn't the collaboration between sales and marketing. And I would say this this especially applies if you hire an agency and don't give them access to see into your CRM into your closed fund deals is they're all just gonna drive into, you know, increasing open rates and click through rates and driving down cost per lead. If your cost per lead, you know, they're like, Okay, as an agency, great, we drove your cost per lead down twenty percent, okay, but none of those close, that is a total waste of everyone's time. So I think that's the biggest thing is is you have to have, you have to give the agency, um, or just your internal marketing team access to that. Otherwise they're really flying blind and lighting your money on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So if you had to put together a system, you know, like how would you go about it? You know, or I guess what is your process when you're working with somebody new you know, and you're starting on the sales side to say, Hey, are you prepared, you know, for this? And you're, you know, And you're seeing that they're not, okay, but you want them to be. What's usually, you know, your method about, you know, to put it in place, you know, that business owners could, you know, they would be able to say, Yeah, okay, I can see I would do this and this and this. So what's your, you know, what's your process like?
0: Yeah, I would say um it's typically two mistakes that I see a lot in terms of the targeting, especially if they just let it if if you're just kind of an order taker rather than order maker, that's something that I say a lot as well, is uh, they either all want to hit only C-suite every time. And a lot of people don't realize, especially the larger company you have, they have staff below. Not only are they going to filter you out and probably not take that conversation, the C-suite, even if they're the people who hold the purse strings, they're not the people who are your champions through the deal. So it's kind of mapping out that buying committee and realizing that they are two different people, but you're usually looking for an intro uh, and then you're looking for a champion and then you're looking for who holds the first strings, mm-hmm. um, depending, especially if you have more complex deal cycles. So I, th- I think a lot of people always miss that first intro and you can hit really junior people. I mean, you could almost hit like interns and just be like, Hey, you know, it's someone that you can get on the phone and be like, make me, you know, they're on board. And then you're like, okay, who should I speak to at the manager level, whatever, and make the intro or, you know, start at kind of the manager level or the person who really feels the pain point, the person who's going to be using this ERM, using the building materials, using whatever, and then who can turn you into the champion, you know, to pitch it to whoever holds the first string. So I think map, not mapping out that buying committee and only focusing on C-suite is a big mistake. And then the other thing is really uh, niching down the, the messaging uh, really to where your your individual sequence targets are like on a list that's ideally under 500 or really under 250 con- like individual contacts. Um, because a lot of times they'll have this super generic messaging where they're trying to hit, you know, 10,000, 100,000 people who are all CEOs and they're like, hey, we see you're in South Carolina, we should talk. And it's like, okay, that's like garbage. Yeah. And, and you can see it. I mean, I would say if you want to see what you shouldn't do, look through on your LinkedIn inbox, the others folder, there's your primary and others. And then on your email, look in, you know, the promotions and spam folders and yeah. look at the the titles that they're using, the messaging that they're using. And if you are using that in your own organization, you should stop because clearly that's not, you know, getting through the filters.
1: The one, the one that I love that, you know, ends up in junk most of the time now is so many people use for the subject line, quick question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, I get that save thing probably five times a day now. You know, everybody yeah. thinks, oh, it worked for this guy over here three years ago. So now let's everybody jump on the bandwagon.
0: Yeah, I see uh, quick question done for you, white labeled, uh, 15 to 30 qualified leads into your inbox. Like those are, yep. you know, and, that, and that's yep. what I tell people is like, look through your own spam uh, mm-hmm. or think about the conversations that you yeah. had that were bad and figure out are your you know, sales and marketing teams doing that? Um, and it's, it's really easy. And, and part of that, I mean, and that goes back to the deliverability stuff and that's on the sales enablement side. So the two biggest ones are really the data enrichment. So you don't need to collect every single field. And, you know, you can have tools that can enrich that data. And then the other part is, is kind of what we've been talking
1: about there. Yeah. Yeah. I say So it's it's really important. You know, this is, it's been a great conversation. You know, it's one of those things, that, like, if your sales side isn't really prepared, you know, and the marketing, you know, I say there's so much information that the two departments can share between them. Just really see what, what's working because otherwise, you know, They both run around around like, you know, chickens with their head cut off because it's, you know, they can't see everything going on and they need to, you know, Mm -hmm. if sales understands what marketing is doing, it can help to qualify what they're doing. This is, you know, this has a payoff. This has a return on the investment and such because we're able to close these deals. Whereas other stuff, the marketers can be thinking that, Hey, we're killing it. And you find out sales can't close any of it because of, you know, what's being brought in. Um, You know, so... How would, like, I guess, if you had to sum it all up, give me like one major takeaway you know, that you would offer up as advice.
0: I would say it's really kind of two components is make sure that you select and optimize a CRM that's best for your category. Um, so, I mean, Salesforce is right for certain companies, but a lot of times you want to find something that's vertical specific, whether that's, you know, service mm-hmm. type and job or in my I also have an electronics repair business, repair desk. It already has a lot of that stuff loaded in. Pick the right yeah. CRM, make sure that's all optimized, that you have access and, and you can track all those records effectively. And then make sure your sales team is talking to your marketing team. Do not pit them against each other for metrics for budget because mm-hmm. that will always cause a breakdown and when they're siloed. So, you know, fix that all, basically how you're tracking all of those leads and opportunities and make sure that is up to date and, you know, either find someone to help you with it or look into optimizations. The, the two biggest ones is, is call transcription and call recording. If you're not going to update the information, at least give people the opportunity to click into the last call and listen to what you talked about. Um, and then make sure your sales and marketing team are talking to each other and have marketing address, you know, create materials that are addressing the pain points that sales is telling you about. Those yeah. are kind of the biggest things. Uh, that's
1: great. So Chandler, how would people get a hold of you? Cause you know, if they need to fix their sales
0: process, you're the guy to go to. Yeah, I'm, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So you can always DM me on there. My personal email is ckellogg at hotbutton.io. And then uh, I also have booking links on my website. Uh, and It's also in my, in my LinkedIn bio. So that's uh, through HubSpot. And that's also another one that I would add to. If you don't have an easily accessible <laughs> booking link, HubSpot, Calendly, whatever else, that's a yeah. huge one. If you're going back and forth, you will lose so many deals trying to schedule time through multiple touches. And I would say the only tempering thing on there is, is there are certain people that are really ego focused. I don't know if you've ever seen these discussions with uh, venture capital. They're like, if you send me a calendar link, uh, I take that as disrespect. So the way that I usually temper that is, <laughs> is I'll be like, tell me some you know dates and times that work for you or otherwise, if you want to save some back and forth, here's my booking link. If you don't That's have that built in, that is right. that is something that you absolutely need to build into your process. It should be really okay. easy to book time with you.
1: Yeah okay well these have been, been some great tips um that's a wrap on this show again i am cash miller i'm the host of marketing masters and the ceo of titan digital i've had chandler kellogg with me of hotbutton.io and this is great if you are not paying attention to your you know the sales side of things and how it is working with your marketing department start doing it because it is extremely important you're going to miss opportunities you're going to end up with a lot of spend that is not necessarily as effective as it should be. So make sure, take that in-depth, deep dive into your organization, see what's going on.